This morning I direct your attention to one word that we read just a moment ago in in Acts chapter 26, verse 8, the word incredible. Incredible. If you go take out your Webster dictionary and look up the word incredible, here's the definition you'll find. It says, too implausible to be believed, or unbelievable, hard to believe, astonishing. Uh, I hold in my hand this morning a book that is filled with incredible things. Things that are, from a human standpoint, implausible. Things from a human standpoint that are hard to believe. But I want to tell you this morning, I believe everything in here is true. I believe everything in here is factual, and regardless of how incredible it might be. For example, it's incredible to think that a guy could lead an army and march around city walls one time for six days, seven times the seventh days, shout, blow the trumpets, and the wall fall down. That's incredible. It's incredible to think that somebody could build an altar on top of a mountain and pray and God send fire from heaven, not only to consume the sacrifice, but the barrels of water they poured on it and the rocks themselves that the altar was made out of. It's incredible to think a little teenage boy could go before a giant of a warrior and kill him with one stone from his slingshot. It's incredible that Jesus could take two little fishes and five little pieces of bread and feed 5,000 men and all the ladies and the children that were in the crowd that day. All these things are incredible, but they're true. And so this morning, I used that as an introduction to preach a sermon in the bulletin. I put the title of That's Incredible, but really my title is this. I didn't want to discourage you because I knew it was the Lord's Supper Day, and I knew I wouldn't have much time. But the real title of my sermon is The Seven Most Incredible Things in the Bible. The seven most incredible things in the Bible. Now, I, only, I know I only got about 14 minutes left, so I do the math. I got two points, two minutes to make each point. So you got to listen. You got to listen quickly. Let me have your attention this morning, and we'll get done pretty close to on time. Number one, it's incredible that God knows us, knows us. We might think that we are as insignificant to God as an ant is to us. When we see an ant coming up to summertime, the ants are going to come out. Uh, Some places they've already come out. Uh, But uh, we might think that when we look at an ant, we don't know nothing about that ant. We don't know that ant's parents. We don't know where that ant was born. We don't know what kind of life that ant has lived. And we might think that we are just that insignificant as an ant is to us, that we are that insignificant to God. But I want to tell you this morning, that's not true. God knows all about you. He knows from where you sprung. He knows who your parents were. He, knew the, he knows the conditions in which you were brought up. He knows the kind of life that you've lived. Not in a general way like we know each other. But in a very specific way, God knows you and knows me as an individual. The Bible says in the book of Matthew, But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. God knows so much about you that he even knows how many hairs are on your head this morning. And as you lose them, he keeps track of those that you lose. 
Uh, and so he knows us. And again, I'm not talking about just God's favorites. I'm not talking about just two or three people that God's picked out to decide to know. He knows every person in that way. He knows the details of every person who has ever lived on the face of this earth. Our God knows that person as an individual. There's no secrets we keep from God. He knows every thought that we think. And it's incredible that God would take the time to know each one of us. Number two, it's incredible that he loves us. I mean, he knows us. He knows all of our sins. He knows all of our unrighteousnesses. He knows all the ways that we've fallen short of his perfection. But in spite of all that, it's incredible that God loves us. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, the Bible says, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, there's not many people that love other people that way. I mean, most of us as people, we love people that love us. We love people that are deserving of our love. We love people that meet our expectations. But God knows us. He knows that we'll never measure up to his righteousness. And and in spite of that, it's an incredible thing. It's hard to believe, but he loves us. Number three. It's incredible that he left heaven to live among us. In the book of Philippians chapter 2, the Bible says this, talking about Jesus Christ, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Now, the technical term for that is the incarnation where the God of heaven left heaven, he still was God, but he was also man. And he took upon him the limitations of man. One of the things our Sunday school lesson pointed out, I didn't mention it in my lesson, but one of the things, one of the ways he did that is when Jesus was on the earth, he could only be in one place at one time. I mean, as God, he can be everywhere. He's omnipresent. But when he took the form of a human, he could only be in one place at one time. And so he gave up some things about being God so that he could come, leave heaven, and come and walk among us. I love this story that Paul Harvey, and I know he's dead now, and I haven't listened <coughs> to the one that took his place, and so I don't know if this tradition goes on. But I, I, I used to like to listen to Paul Harvey at Christmas time when he'd tell that story about the man that didn't believe in God didn't believe in the incarnation, didn't believe that Jesus came and took the form of a man. And his wife and children were Christians, and it was Christmas Eve. And so they went to church to the Christmas Eve service. He stayed at home. A storm came up. He was sitting in the living room reading the paper, and he heard something begin to beat against his front window. And so he went over to the front door and flipped on the porch light, and there was a flock of birds that were trying to get in out of the storm that had arisen that Christmas Eve. And they saw the light in his window, and they were trying to get in and beating themselves against the window. This man, even though he wasn't a Christian, didn't believe in God, he felt sorry for the birds. And so he put on his coat and his boots and went outside and went to his barn and opened. He turned off all the lights in the house and turned off the front porch light, thinking that if he went to the barn, opened the door, turned on a light in the barn, that the birds would go into the barn and get out of the storm. They didn't. They didn't. 
He tried going to the front porch and swooshing them. Okay, birds, let's go into the barn. But they wouldn't move. And he got to thinking, if I could only be a bird. If I could only speak bird language, I could tell them where to go to get out of danger to safety. As Paul Harvey told the story just then, the church bells rang. And he thought, that's what Jesus did for me. That's what Jesus did for me. He came so that he could tell me how to get out of danger, the danger of hell. He came to tell me how I could get to safety, the safety of salvation. It's incredible that God left heaven to live among us. Number four, it's incredible that he lived a sinless, perfect life for the 33 plus years that he lived on this earth. In the book of Hebrews, the Bible says, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Every temptation we face, every trial we face, everything that we face that, that, that comes into our life, in some way or another, Jesus faced. He was tempted in all points like as we. Everything that we face, he faced. And yet he faced it without sin. He faced it without one time disappointing the father. He faced it in a way that God was able to say about his son (coughs) who lived among men. This is my beloved son whom I am well pleased. He was able to do that so that John the Baptist could introduce him as behold the lamb of God. The perfect lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. You see, the Jews every day, in the morning and in the evening, they would take a lamb, a lamb without blemish, and they would kill that lamb as an offering. The Bible says that Jesus was our lamb, the perfect lamb of God. It's incredible that he could do that. Number five, it's incredible, implausible, hard to believe that Jesus died for our sins. Why do you go to the cross? It wasn't for any sin that he committed. It wasn't for any crime uh, that he took part in. When Pilate, the Roman governor, examined him, he spoke the truth when he said, I find no fault in him. He didn't go to the cross for his sins. He didn't go to the cross for his transgressions. He went to the cross for ours. He went to the cross for our sins, for our iniquities, for our transgressions. In the book of Isaiah, the Bible says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all i can read that and i but but i can't explain it i don't understand how how god did it but when jesus hung on the cross god took every one of my sins every one of your sins i mean we weren't even born yet we didn't even walk the face of the earth yet when jesus hung on the cross but god was able to take all of our sins and put them on his son And he died. It's incredible that the perfect, sinless Son of God would die for a bunch of sinners. It's incredible, but he did it. Number six, it's incredible that he rose up from the dead. You see, every religion has a founder. It's usually a great teacher. It's usually somebody that writes a book. The Buddhists have Buddha. The Muslims have Muhammad. We as Christians 
have Jesus Christ. All the founders of religion have died. Buddha died. Mohammed died. Jesus died. But there's one difference between the founder of what we believe and the founder of every other religion that people believe in. You go to Buddha's grave this morning, you'll find his rotting remains. You go to Muhammad's grave this morning, you'll find his rotting remains. But you go to the grave, you will not find the remains of our Savior, Jesus Christ. He arose. He's alive. He's not dead. I don't know about you, but I want a religion that has a living Savior. I want somebody to believe in that died and came back, defeating death, defeating sin. It's incredible he arose. And then number seven, it's incredible how easy God made it for us to appropriate what Jesus did for us on Calvary. It's incredible how easy he made it. You see... We don't have to pay for it. We don't have to turn over a new leaf to get it. We don't have to get baptized to get it. We don't have to join a church to get it. Now look, I think all those things are a good thing. I think when you get saved, you ought to start living right. If you you don't think I believe that, you ought to come on Wednesday night. We're talking from the book of Romans. God expects every Christian to live right, to walk in the straight and narrow way. But that's not a requirement for our salvation. I mean, if God waited for us to live a perfect life, none of us would be saved. But he, and he doesn't expect us to get, I think you ought to get baptized after you get saved as a way of identifying with Christ. But salvation does not p- depend on baptism. I think you ought to join a Bible-preaching church when you get saved. But our salvation does not depend on joining a church. God made it so easy. All he said, you want to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put your faith in him. Depend on him, what he did on Calvary. In Acts chapter 16, verse 31, Paul and Silas told the Philippian jailer, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And thou shalt be saved. In John chapter 1 verse 12, the Bible says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. When I worked at General Motors, every now and then, Debbie, my wife, and I, we got to host a a dealer trip. These were trips that parts managers at GM dealerships won by selling parts. And every once in a while, they would, they would organize these trips and take the parts managers on these trips, and they would need somebody from home office, so to speak, to go and serve as a host. And so we got to go a couple times. I, I remember the time we got to go for a week to Australia. Uh, long flight, and we, they put us up in a, in a real fancy hotel and fed us, you know, three good meals a day and all sorts of sightseeing and all that other stuff. And at the end of the week... I went down to the front desk to check out. Now, usually, you know, if you're on a trip on your own, when you go down to the front desk, that's when you have to settle the bill. I mean, they usually demand a credit card before the thing starts, but I didn't give them a credit card when we checked in. But I had to go down to the front desk to check out, and they presented me a bill. I can't remember the exact number, but it was thousands of dollars. I mean, it was a pretty expensive trip. And there was a stamp on it that said, paid in full. They said, Mr. Manning, all you got to do to finish this trip is sign your name. 
that you basically have reviewed the charges and you understand that they have been paid for by somebody else. Just sign your name and everything's done. That's how easy God made it for us. You see, Jesus Christ paid the bill in full. There's no additional charges that we have to pay. Now, I could have said that I could have said when I went down to the front desk, oh, no, 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 I, I don't want somebody else to pay. Let me take out my card and I'll pay it myself. I would have been pretty stupid to do that, but <laughs> I could have done that. Let me tell you something else. It, it, I think it was a Hyatt hotel. When I went, out to, went to check out, they didn't ask me, hey, did you join our Hyatt Rewards Club? They didn't ask me that. They didn't say, hey, by the way, did you go swimming in our pool? They didn't ask me that. By the way, they didn't ask me when I went to check out, have you behaved yourself on this trip? I'm glad they didn't, Mike. (laughs) I behaved myself, but I'm glad nobody asked me. They didn't ask me none of that stuff. They said, just sign your name. Just sign your name. Been paid for. That's what God does for us. He didn't ask us to join something. He didn't ask us to pay for it ourselves. He didn't ask us to, to live right before we get saved. He just says, just come and receive it. Believe it. And it's yours. It's yours. Paid in full by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's not in the Bible. It's not one of my seven points. But let me tell you one more thing as I close that I find incredible. I find it incredible that there might be some here this morning that would reject him and would reject the price that he has paid for our salvation. There may be some here this morning, you know you're a sinner. You know you stand guilty before God. You know if you got what you deserved, you go to hell and burn in hell forever and ever. You've heard the gospel. You've heard that Jesus paid for your sins on Calvary's cross. You've heard that the only thing you need to do is just receive it, is to just take it. And yet, you're going to get up in a minute and you're going to walk out that door and you'll be just as lost as you were when you came in. In a minute, you're going to get up and you're going to walk out that door and you're going to be headed for hell just as much as when you came in. To me, that's incredible. It's incredible that anybody would choose death over life. It's incredible that anybody would choose uh, hell over heaven. It's incredible that you could reject somebody that loved you so much that he gave his life and died on Calvary for you. It's incredible. Why don't you just receive him today? Why don't you just take the gift of salvation that he offers to you today? The Bible says today's the day. The day is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. There won't be an easier time for you to come to Jesus Christ in your whole life than right now. Because if you reject him today, the next time you hear the gospel, it'll be harder for you to come to Christ. Would you come today? He knows you. He loves you. He lived among us without sin and died in our place, but rose again. And he's made it so easy for us to come and get salvation. Would you come? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for making it so easy. Thank you make, making it for, for making it so easy that even the little children that are back in the back, as Adam preaches to them, they can understand what they need to do to get saved. I pray for the people in this room. I pray every single person in this room, Father, knows 
what it is to be saved. And if by chance there's one or two people here that have never received Christ as their Savior, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just help them understand that there's no other way that they can come. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Help them to understand he is the only way to be made right with you. And help them this morning, right where they sit, to say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I know I deserve hell, but I believe that Jesus paid for my sin. And right now I'm asking him to be my Savior. I pray, Father, that if they say that prayer, that in just a second they'll walk the aisle and share their decision with us so that we can rejoice with them. I pray if they need help making that decision, that they'll walk the aisle so we could take the Bible and show them from the Bible how to ask Jesus to save them. Just please, Father, bless this time of invitation. Use it to build your kingdom. I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.